bring your pet to church day except if you're me because I did bring my pet to church because we were leaving and I don't know why the dog does this every once in a while when it's raining she just started pawing at the door you know and I think in her little dog brain she was like if I keep pawing and pawing and pawing with all my might they'll open that door and they'll take me wherever they're going <laughs> and that worked today we set a bad precedent because now every time we go to leave the dog, the, the dog is going to paw at the door. She's back there in the sound booth. We have a little dog named Junie. She's a blessing to us sometimes. And sometimes she's not. <laughs> yeah, she's cute. Yeah. Someone said, now we don't have a church mouse, but we have a church dog. And I said, yeah, if you're not careful, she'll eat the mice. So We don't have mice, by the way. That's not a problem that we have. <laughs> All right. Let's go in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The title of tonight's message as we continue to go through our series, Growing Pains, this is, 12, this is the 12th message now, and we're going to talk about doctrines against fornication. Um, I, I don't typically rely on, on commentaries, but there are times where commentaries provide great insight, and today is one of those times, and I want to share with you some things that I have seen from this passage. We have talked at length um, through our study in the book of Proverbs and uh, a couple of messages ago when we talked about uh, the damage of fornication, specifically in the Corinthian church and how that relates to church discipline, we've talked about uh, fornication quite a bit and how it's not a good thing. And Paul makes a great comparison as he's kind of segueing from a specific thing that was happening to another specific thing that was happening in the church. We just covered last week the issue of taking your brother in Christ uh, to law and taking things that were supposed to be handled inside the church, removing them from the outside of the church, and putting them before the unrighteous. I don't think I turned my uh, microphone on. Hang on a second. Is it on now? Yeah, there you go. Oh. <laughs> so we, we talked about how that was a wrong thing, and we looked at the reason why it was wrong is because their pride, and they were putting themselves above uh, one another, we studied that a little bit this morning about practicing that agape love, humiliating ourselves, uh, humbling ourselves, lowering ourselves, and not looking at strife as the way to get things done or vainglory for self. We, we can just see a lot of things. The New Testament really weaves itself together very nicely. And the Old Testament gives us a lot of examples of how we should behave. You look at the life of Daniel and his faithfulness going into, into captivity as a teenager, being faithful all the years of his life. And then you look at the illustrations in Scripture of things we should avoid, uh, the impatience of King Saul, the, the lust that led King David to commit adultery and ultimately um, killed Uriah, uh, not by his own hand, but by the things that he had set, set in there, how Solomon allowed his heart to be corrupted, uh, so much to the point where he took down those altars that were for Jehovah and lifted up these pagan groves for all these different gods. We can learn a lot from the Old Testament examples, and it's reinforced in Scripture. And that's a beautiful thing. Those things fit together very nicely. But tonight, I want to go into five different things that we can see um, that fornication does to our bodies. The, there, there's five specific parts in this uh, section here, verses 12 through 20, that Paul covers. And I think it would be beneficial, if you're taking notes, to just write down one through five, and I'll give you each one of those points with the corresponding verse. There won't be a lot of traveling outside of 1 Corinthians tonight. We will go to a couple places, but most of it will be built from right inside this passage here. So let's pick up in verse number 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I'm recapping verses 9 through 11 because I think it's important to set what Paul had just said in light of what he's going to say to finish this chapter. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, which is what he's about to address, but he lumps everybody into this group, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, all those 
shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, you are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. He reminds them before he continues to correct them, lovingly hard discipline, that you are sealed by that Spirit. You were of this way, as that was your only way before Christ. After Christ now, you're washed, you're justified, you're sanctified, and that is good news. But also he gives a reminder here in the end of verse 12, or excuse me, at the end of verse 11, by the Spirit of our God, as you'll see that we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit resides in us, and he is reminding them of that truth before he goes into very specifically their problem with fornication being openly celebrated. It was something that they were saying, well, all things are lawful for me. I can do anything, right? Because my sin has been paid. I have all of this forgiveness, and therefore I can do those things to satisfy myself. That's a very negative uh, attitude to have about the grace of God. Although there is no way to out-sin God's grace, His grace covers it all, we are not supposed to be continually living in sin in this body that God has designed for a purpose. Yet this was the attitude of that church. And if you study cults, it's very interesting to me to study cults because you can find out where did they go wrong? To what extent did they take a Bible truth and put too much of man's wisdom into it to where it grew into something that was no longer biblical? You study uh, Mormonism, for example. There's a lot of very sexual occult practices that happen within Mormonism. They believe that at some point you can ascend to a godlike state, and when you are in the afterlife, you'll be able to have a planet to yourself, and you'll be able to populate that planet with, with all sorts of women, and you will become a god to those people on that planet. I mean, just things that are, they're not in Scripture, but there's a perversion that happens somewhere. And if we're, if we're good students and we're good researchers and we study, most of the time where a lot of these problems happen is with fornication. It is a very dangerous sin to fall into. The sin of satisfying yourself sexually with another person. Um, you're giving yourself over to the power of that individual. And Paul's going to make a comparison here. If I want you to see this. Uh, in verse 12, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. And I think Paul is, he's almost quoting the mindset in the first part of that statement. The Corinthian believer saying, all things are lawful for me. He's saying, but not all things are expedient. You can do what you'd like, but what happens with everything that you do comes a consequence, right? You speed you run the consequence of getting caught. How many of us have experienced that? And there are more severe consequences. If you speed and it's slick outside like it is tonight, you could lose control of your car. And you could get in an accident and you're fine, but you hurt somebody else because of your decision to break the law. We can go with every single choice that we make and find a consequence, a negative one, a neutral one, and a positive one. We can find those things. And what Paul is saying here is that mentality of, well, I do these things because they're lawful for me to do, is not a very safe attitude and mindset to possess. Look what he says. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. So there are some things Paul's teaching here. And anytime I say that Paul is teaching these things, understand that I'm saying this is what God wants us to know as well. These are not just Paul's random writings. They're inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so God is telling us here that there is a power to things that we do, to choices that we make. We can think about small things, right? Like let's just say making money. There is a, you, you, people that are really good at it, they are able to become enslaved to it. It's, it's all that they do. It's their desire. It's their motivation. It's what causes them to do their daily routine. And we can, simple things like fitness, we can take how we take care of our bodies as our sole reason to be here, and that's what motivates us. Or maybe 
our craft or our profession. And it all starts up here. But there's also a negative side too. A person who is addicted to drugs. They put themselves under the influence of these drugs and they become addicted to it that now there is a power being held over them that is against their own desires. If you read some of the testimonies that come from your former Reformers Unanimous programs, uh, people that had been in uh, AA meetings for years, they had their chips, their chips that said they were one year sober or two years sober or three years sober. But the only thing that was keeping them from not drinking was the fact that they had to go to an AA meeting. There was really no change in the person's attitude towards their addiction. But when they go to a, a biblical program like you, uh, Reformers Unanimous, you learn about your new nature. First of all, you learn about your need for a Savior, that your addiction is, is stemming from a sin problem, and how that sin problem has been addressed in Jesus Christ. Now that you have this Holy Spirit, you have this new power, this new ability, you can get yourself out from under that addiction. It's going to be hard because the flesh is strong, but the Spirit can be stronger if you feed it. And what is being said here is, as Paul is saying, I'm not going to allow myself through my choices, the freedom that I have in Christ, to be brought under the power of anything except for Christ. We know what, uh, what, what Paul says in Philippians. All the things that I've done, all my accomplishments, they are but dung. They are nothing. Those things I, I, I counted gain to me, I counted loss for Christ. That was one of my favorite verses for, for many years because it was a great reminder of all the accomplishments that we can do they pale in comparison to why we can do those things. This is how we guard against pride. It's a good habit to, to get into, to, to check what's my motivations, why am I doing what I'm doing, all those things. Don't paralyze yourself in that analysis, but free yourself from your flesh. And so he starts by making a comparison here in verse uh, 13. Meats for the belly and belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. So he makes a comparison here between our, our bodies and food. Okay, Our bodies need food. If you were to run an experiment and try to not eat for 20-something days, you're not going to make it. Your body is going to break down. You'll die. The meats are for the body. The body for the meats. This is not the same as fornication. If we're to say all things are lawful and all things are expedient to us, well, just like I have the desire to eat, I need to do that. I have the desire to sexually gratify myself, so I need to do that as well. That's not how that is designed. The body was not designed for fornication. They're using it against its original design. That's the first point. Fornication is against the body's original design. Like the belly is made for meat and the, the meat is made for the belly, those things work together. And there will come a time where these bodies that we have, they'll be transformed into perfect heavenly bodies. We're going to eat in heaven. We know that, I believe, because there's a tree that produces fruit in its season. That doesn't mean we are going to need to eat. It doesn't mean that we are going to have a hunger, something that needs to be satisfied. That will be gone. But as we are here right now, our body is designed to eat. And the things that we put in our body are very important. So Paul says, read verse 13 again, meats for the belly and belly for the meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. That need for hunger, that unity between food and body, at one point, at some point in the future, it will be not needed anymore. And it's important to recognize the next statement he says, now... The body is not for fornication. Just like the belly and meats, they go together. Your body and fornication, they do not go together. And you, Corinthian believers, are taking this liberty that we have, this attitude of all things are lawful for me, and you're applying it to something that doesn't work. I told you I'm a, I'm a horrible handyman. If you are working on a screw, if you don't have the right screwdriver, it's going to be impossible or very difficult for you to get your job done. Some of the most terrifying words that I heard when I was helping uh, people build something is get me a Phillips or a flathead screwdriver. I'm like, no one 
here is named Philip. How do I know it's his screwdriver? You see my understanding? Can you imagine if someone asked for a screwdriver and I brought them back a hammer or a Allen wrench? <laughs> exactly. I still don't know someone named Allen who owns this wrench. But it won't work. They're, they're not designed for one another. And when we look at our bodies, our bodies are not supposed to be sexually dishonored. Look, and that's happening. Look, today, Valentine's Day, this is happening all over the world. Fornication, people that are not married, sleeping with one another. It has become normal in our culture. I, I used to hear this in high school because when I was in high school, I'm sure that, 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 that kids were sleeping with one another, but it wasn't as crazy as I, I see it now. Like I'll, I've, I'll talk to our teenagers and they say, yeah, I know people that have told me they have, they have done these things. And I remember one of the things that was said in high school was, well, if we love one another, then it's okay. And as a 14, 15, 16-year-old kid, I thought that makes sense, right? Because in my mind, what the world had taught me is through movies, through songs, is if you love somebody, you'll sleep with them. And that's the whole thing. And the movies never show you that act. Well, now they get pretty close. But they never show you that act, but it's always implied. Oh, they love each other because they have slept with each other. Okay, remember how we talked about the three different kinds of love? Okay, the first one being that phileo love between friends. That second one, eros, that sexual love for one another that's often displayed through sexual acts, is not agape love. Agape love is a commitment. It's unconditional. God committed his son towards us. You, do you see the difference? No sexual thing there. And, and I, that's why I don't like those songs that kind of make God's love seem like it's like a hot, passionate, weird thing. It, that, that's not what God's love is. God's love was a firm act towards our sin. He solved our problem. But when people say, well, we love one another, if you really love that person, you'll stop sleeping with them because you damage your body and their body. And secondly, if you really love them, you'll get married because marriage is more than just a fling. Marriage is saying, I, before God and witnesses, establish a covenant with you that I will stay true to you. That's more than getting hot and heavy when you feel like it. Here's how the pattern goes. People meet one another, they go on several dates, and it's just kind of like a determining factor to when do I allow my body to be used by this individual? And they do that. And then they just continue to do that. And then they say, well, what's the point if we're already doing this thing? Isn't that funny that they think like, well, sex is the biggest thing. That's, that, that's where it's all at. Well, we should move in together. And then they move in together. And then they reside there and they continue. And then when someone is dissatisfied with the other person or an affair happens or they just fall apart, they leave. I don't think that's how it was desi uh, designed. Marriage was designed for those two individuals to leave their father and mother, cleave to one another. There's no commitment there. Our salvation is not like that. It's not whenever God feels like it, he says that we're saved. He has given to us a, an act to say, if you believe on my son, I will put you in heaven. That is my promise and guarantee to you. For better or for worse, can we act for better or worse as Christians? Yeah. Yeah. Marriage is a picture of what has been done in our salvation. And taking that act that is supposed to be a beautiful thing that is undefiled in, uh, in, in marriage and making it just something a part of life is a very dishonoring thing to God and it's a dishonoring thing to our bodies. But Paul says in our first point here, that act of fornication is against the body's original design. And I want you to write off to the side here, there is a power to all sin, but especially fornication. 
there is a power to all sin, but especially fornication. And there are gateways to those things. Pornography is a gateway to that action. You've heard the phrase that you have to stumble before you fall. We need to guard our minds, the things that we put in our minds, the things that we say, because they can lead to a greater sin if we're not careful. So the, the, the second thing that fornication is against is it is against the body's intended honor, the future of what our body will be used for. Look in verse 14. And God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his own power. In the future, whether you die here or you get raptured, this body that you're in is going to be changed into a new body. We can dishonor ourselves and our future body by doing fornication, by committing those acts. Hold your place here and go to Philippians chapter 3. It's over to your right. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, verse, or uh, chapter 3, look into verse 20. Page 1260 in a uh, church loan Bible or Schofield Bible. Look in verse 20. For our conversation is in heaven, our behavior, our, our manner and way of life, that's in heaven. We, we live out here, but we have a place there. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're looking for him to come back. So because of these two things here, look what 21 says. Who shall change our vile body. This body that we have, if we should be here until the Lord decides to descend with a shout, this vile body will be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. It, we will be caught up in the air to be with the Lord. We should not take this body that has that intended honor and dishonor it in the way of sleeping with someone who is not our spouse. It doesn't matter how much we love them, and it does not matter what we intend to do in the future. Do it now. If you really do love that person, you should get married. There's, there's no need to wait. I know that sounds, it sounds drastic, but I, I think the reason why it sounds drastic is because we have normalized it. We have normalized that behavior. And I'm telling you, the more we do that, the harder it's going to be to do the right thing. If you just keep disobeying, it's going to be harder for you to stop. You ever had a nice, like, you like make a bunch of cookies or make brownies, and you tell yourself it's like the middle of the day and you have no place eating them, but you say just one? You know what happens? Just one turns into all done. <laughs> You got to be careful. And so we, you know, we, we have people in the world that you know, they maybe really do love one another, but they haven't been taught how to properly show that love. This is why when I said earlier, we can't, the world cannot demonstrate agape love. The world sells eros love, right? It's everywhere. Like I said, you, you can drive down the street and you see billboards that want to sell you a sexual thing or sell you a body or something like that. The world's good at that. We, we, we can't soften that kind of love and say, well, that's the way I really love somebody. No, that love is what it is. It is there to satisfy yourself or someone else. The agape love helps us love like God. Who shall, let's continue there in verse 21, change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. So just as when Christ came back, from the dead and walked among people where over 500 brethren saw him at once, our bodies will be the same way. Would Jesus behave that way, giving his body up to fornication? No. I cringe at even saying that. But essentially, when we as believers commit that kind of sin, this is what our bodies will be like. Why do we dishonor it in that way? Continue. 
unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things to himself. When we rule and reign with Christ, are you not glad that your sin nature will be a thing of the past? It'll be removed, it's gone. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So just to recap the first two points, and then we'll finish up these with these last three here. Fornication is against the body's original design. Fornication is against the body's intended honor. And then fornication is against the body's current honor. Look in verses 15 through 17 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ. Now we've talked extensively about how these Corinthian believers were believers. They did not fall outside of salvation and have to get resaved. Paul is stating a factual position here. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? Paul's trying to get their focus centered on what they're doing. Shall I take the members of Christ and unite them with a harlot? What does he say? God forbid. What were the Corinthians doing? Celebrating that. They were maybe possibly even encouraging it. The only thing I can kind of pull that from is, is their behavior described in chapter 5. It is commonly reported among you that that thing was happening with the stepmother incident. Verse 16, what? You can probably say that's like, what? Huh? Know you not? Don't you know that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh, but he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Verse 17 is important to understand verse 16. Verse 16 I've heard used as a, when you sleep with somebody, that's the the way that marriage happens. I, I don't believe that. I believe what Paul is saying here, that act of coming together with an individual, which is supposed to be in marriage, makes those two one. You're already joined to Christ. Why are you going to live in a way and perform that act and also be joined to Christ? It's a big way to say, wake up. What you're doing is wrong. There's no justification for it. None. Well, I can do all, you know, I, all things are lawful to me. I'm forgiven. Yes, you're forgiven, but let's not do that because here's the perspective of what you're doing when you commit fornication. People have excused themselves away from this passage. It's a sad thing. I believe honestly, too, if we're not careful and if, if a ministry allows this kind of behavior, I think that God will discipline that ministry strongly. Paul is saying to a ministry in Corinth, you guys have this behavior, it's wrong, it's a shame to you. Stop it, stop it, stop doing that. I don't know how else to convey this to the world except we have to give God the sovereignty that he has. He is able to say what is right and what is wrong. People don't like to hear this because it's not what they want to do. It's You hear the phrase, my body, my choice. Boy, there's holes all through that right now. Actually, believer, not your body anymore. Surprise, you've been bought. And we'll look at that verse as we end tonight. But our current honor is we are a member of the body of Christ. Hold your place here and just go a couple pages to the right to chapter 12. It's just one verse, but I think it's an important verse. 1 Corinthians 12, look in verse 27. Now, he's talking to the same group of believers, now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. You can let that go and go to Ephesians chapter 5. 
Ephesians chapter 5, further over to your right. Look in verse 30. Specifically, this is, if we weren't talking about agape love this morning, we'd be talking about the love that is described here of how uh, uh, husbands and wives are supposed to love one another. But in the middle of that discussion, he, Paul makes this statement. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Interesting. Look at verse 31. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. When you get married, your husband or your wife is supposed to be your only intimate partner. That's it. It's a part of that commitment. I'm blessed to have that kind of relationship with one woman. And I know that there are many people out there that cannot say that. And I feel for them because I, I believe a lot of young people are being deceived. They're being told, you need to express that value. You are worth that love that he wants to give you. That's right, but he should marry you first. <laughs> Hello. But the world doesn't teach that. Make it a game, make it a game. When you're ready to give it up, give it up. And then guess what? He has gotten what he came for. Your value in his worldly view has diminished. He has experienced you now. And naturally, he will find someone else that he has yet to experience and pursue that. Yeah, I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's a sad thing. It's a very sad thing to see what's going on in our college campuses, what's going on in, in churches around the country. You find out horrible things about pastors that are convincing people, uh, you know, manipulating them to do horrible things with them. It's a, ter it's a terrible thing. But there is a power to fornication that you and I need to specifically, and Paul will show us here, flee from it. You know, there are some things that we fight Fornication, we flee from it. You're ever in a position where you're, you're, there's an opportunity for you to sleep with somebody or something happens and you're in a moment, you got to run away from that. Like physically, get out of there. Because the longer you stay and try to rationalize with yourself, the harder it's going to be to leave. Talk to people that have been through it. I have talked to people who have been through it. And I've learned valuable lessons things that I guard myself against. Our, our former vice president, Mike Pence, was once brought to a national criticism because he dares not have dinner with anyone that's not his wife. Good for him. That's a wise thing. He's never, like, just like Warren said, he's never one-on-one -on -one with another woman. Oh, he hates women. What? No, on the contrary, he respects them and he respects his wife. Let me show you some other people that have beaten their wives and abused their wives and done horrible things. I think there'd be a lot of women that want a man of value like Mr. Mike Pence. Wouldn't you agree? He has biblical values. And fornication, just boiling sex down to, oh, it's just something we do when, you know, when we want to. That, that's not how the body was made. So fornication is against the body's original design, its intended honor, its current honor, and we've got these last two things here. Look back in 1 Corinthians, look in chapter 6 in verse 18. It is against the body itself. Verse 18 says, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. I would probably agree that fornication and drug use, as the Bible calls it, witchcraft, are two of the strongest sins that a person can get involved in. The Lord is telling us here that any other sin we do is not as damaging to the body as that particular sin. It's not our job to say why or how. We should, as believers, go, oh, let me mark that. 
Let me make sure that I don't find myself in that particular sin. And think about the sin of fornication. It affects a lot of people. Think about a person who is in a marriage who goes outside of the marriage. The the absolute wrecking ball that happens to that relationship. Just as an example, if something like that were to happen, if I were to think in my marriage, it wouldn't just be Kyla that would be affected, my in-laws, my family, my nephews, this ministry. You see how it's just, a, it's just an explosion? Because of one thing that led to another, that led to another, that led to another, and then boom, a whole ministry can fall apart. You, 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 can, you can Google different heads of ministry that have fallen to this particular sin. Oh, it's just a coincidence. It's not a coincidence. Paul says here, flee it. And the translators decided to put a period there. I think that's pretty good. Flee fornication, period. Look at verse 19. And this is the last point. It is against the body's resident which is the Holy Spirit. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? Remember what we talked about earlier? My body, my choice. You are actually not your own anymore. You've been bought. Look at verse 20. For ye are bought with a price. What is that price? What is that price? You know what it is, but think about it. The beating, the scourging, the weight of literally having all the sin, all the wrath of God, your Father, poured out on you. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's the price. Are we to take that price and belittle it to the point of human satisfaction, human gratification, perspective. It'll shift your thoughts about a particular issue. Specifically, Paul is trying to get them to realize. And he continues all through chapter 7, and we're going to continue to talk about that next week. But I want you to look at the end of verse 20. And in your spirit, excuse me, therefore, glorify God. How do we glorify God? We avoid fornication. We flee from it. And we flee from taking each other to law. And we flee from celebrating fornication. And we flee from lifting up man's wisdom above God's wisdom. Think of the entire book just like a vacuum that's sucking up different ideas and then producing a clean product. That's how I look at this, this portion here. When he says, glorify God in your body, he has built an entire case for you to recognize your body is more than just a shell that holds your spirit. It is the vehicle that we get things done with. We can glorify God in this body. We can sacrifice it as a living sacrifice to the Lord. What an honor. What an absolute honor. What a dishonor to just destroy this body, specifically with fornication. And I mean, all sorts of things we can do. We can just live our life as if there are no consequences. Look, people are doing it. They are living their life that way. Christians. And it's a shame and they ought to be lovingly told, this is a shame and you need to stop doing this. What can we do to help you? Well, there are many things we can do to help people that are caught in this specific sin. The first thing is pray. Not for their destruction, but pray to restore them. God will take care of what needs to happen to their life. And then when you see something, you need to say something to them, okay? That's, there's the key, all right? It's not, ooh, I saw this, I'm going to go tell everyone else except that person. If you see a problem, talk to the individual. Look, there are many people that have come uh, out of addictions and come out of 
um, you know, severe consequences that, that they have experienced because of their sin, and they are thankful that someone got a hold of them. They're thankful that someone put their feet to the Scripture and said, what are you going to do with what the Bible says here? There's an art to rebuking somebody. Anyone can yell at somebody, right? Anyone can point their, their finger in their face and shame them and all that, but there's a real art to lovingly rebuking somebody. And I don't mean you say mean things with a low voice. You're an absolute disgrace. You know that? I, that's, not, that's not what I mean. People can tell when you care about them. People can tell when you're concerned. And people can also tell when you're just mad. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit. This also shows us here that we can glorify God through how we use our body. I, I, I have a soft spot for athletes that are dedicated Christians. I think really the, the one guy that I can think of right now that's, that's active out there is not really an athlete anymore. But uh, Tim Tebow is pretty, pretty close on the gospel. There are some terminologies that I don't like that are in his book. But I've heard him say what it is required for a person to go to heaven, and it lines up with the Bible. You know what he used to do in his very short NFL career with his body? I mean, the guy's gifted. He's a big dude, and he's muscular, and he can throw the football and all that. I mean, he's, he has a body that is talented. And he decided, I'm going to use this body for sports, but I'm going to honor the Lord through it. You go back and look at all his interviews after his games. And even the eye mask that he put on. I think he did John 3.16 and it had millions of search trends in one of the bowl games that he was in. But when he was in the NFL, he would always kneel when he scored a touchdown or when they got in the end zone or whatever. And this became something to make fun of him. He wore it with the badge of honor because he knew what it was. He was thanking the Lord and he was not shy about it. I was listening to uh, Mr. Trump's Christmas address and he was saying so many good things about Jesus, but he never said Jesus' name. Not once. And that's kind of just like a trend with politicians. They'll say all the things about God and blah, 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 but they'll never say Jesus Christ. That's why when Congress opened this year with we pray to Brahma, some Hindu God, I thought, that's bad. That's not good. We won't say the name of Jesus, but we'll say the name of an idol that has eyes but cannot see and ears, but cannot hear a mouth but is dumb. I mean, those aren't my words. Those are God's words, what he says about those idols. You go look at uh, idolatry in Israel, and it was, a, it was a spur in their heel all the time. They had a problem with that. And here we are opening Congress to some false deity. Oh, man. Getting off the point there to come back to Tim Tebow. He was ridiculed at the Sports Academy Award stuff, made fun of because he's a left-handed quarterback, and it comes off his hand weird because we don't see lefties. They, just, they don't throw the football often. But he was ran out of the NFL. The guy had talent. He decided, and he still does this, to use his body to glorify the Lord. He was very popular. on his, he, he was a virgin, all the way up until he was married. And that's, yeah, that's a good thing. But he was ridiculed for it because in the eyes of the world, well, look at this body you have. How could you not share it with, with someone who has an equally good-looking body? Uh, because he understood what God said about fornication. He understood about the beauty of that act within marriage, and he decided I will obey God and not men. I was reading through the book of Acts yesterday because we have a devotion. We're going uh, through the book of Acts and I was pretty behind. Let me just say we started on February 1st and I didn't start until yesterday. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I went on Amazon and bought a paragraph digital Bible. It's like 99 cents. And I'm reading through. If you've ever read the, the Bible in paragraph form, it's very different. It's pretty cool. And before I knew it, I was in chapter 10. Like, that's how, that's how quickly it went. 
But anyway, I was going through and I was seeing how Peter and the apostles were just saying, we rather obey God than men. And they were performing these miracles. They were being thrown in jail. They were being brought before the council. They were being beaten. And then Stephen gave his message and then he died. And then all this explosion happened of the church because of all of the uh, violence that was happening against him, the persecution that was coming against him. I just thought, man, that is better than any movie that's been produced in a long, long time. But those men, they knew who Christ was. They saw him ascend, and they said, these bodies that we have right now, we're not going to use them to gratify the world. We're going to use them to glorify God. And I don't know, I'm sitting there in bed, and I'm thinking, I can do that. You can do that. When Jesus says, you're going to do greater miracles than what I did, yeah, he's talking to the apostles there, and they healed. But you know what else came right after people were healed? And many what? Believed. It wasn't just for, well, I got my kidney fixed. <laughs> Go back to life. They, they realized, this Jesus you talk of, and they believed something about him, that he was the Messiah, that he did come to pay for sin. You think about Cornelius in, in Acts chapter 10. And as Peter yet spoke these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. Whoa, what does that mean? They believed, and they received, and that's pretty neat. So you and I are the same way. Have you believed? If you have, you have received that Holy Spirit. You've received the free gift of everlasting life, and now you can glorify God. But if you're caught up in fornication, let this be a stern warning to you. Flee it. Stop it. Get away from it. You damage yourself and the person that you love. And I just put that in air quotes because I'm not going to challenge your real motivation there, but I am going to challenge if that's real love or not. Hmm. That'll be where we end for tonight. Let me just cover those points one more time. Fornication is against the body's original design. It's against the body's intended honor. It's against the body's current honor. It's against the body itself. And it is against the body's resident, the Holy Spirit. And if you glorify, if you're trying to glorify God and also commit fornication, you can't do it. God can get glory out of you, but that act will never glorify the Lord. You see how sometimes when I named this series, I thought, well, Growing Pains is pretty good because at, at sometimes we're going to be reading it, we're going to be growing. At other times it'll be like, ooh. <laughs> this, is a, you know, this is a young church that had a lot of different worldly teachings that they were trying to combat. But let me, ass let me assure you, they got it right. They got it right. And there were probably believers in Corinth that wanted to do right. But there was a lot of wrong going on and it was celebrated. Look up here, I want to illustrate the gospel message to you. This hand represents you and me. My wallet represents sin. God loves us. He hates our sin because our sin separates us from him. Specifically, the Bible says that all have fallen short. And if we were to pay for one sin, we'd have to be eternally separated from God forever in a place called hell where there are no second chances. If we want to get to heaven... We've got to be perfect, just like God, and we're not. And that's a huge problem. The Bible teaches that no good works could ever pay for our sin. We can't trade in our good works as a payment for that sin because it's not what's accepted. God will accept that death, separation from Him. That's a scary thing. It really is. I, I, it should be a great motivator for us to reach people. This hand represents Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the Lord who was perfect, who knew no sin, he was fully God and he was fully man. And what Jesus did for you is he died on the cross and took that sin. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that's Jesus Christ, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so the moment a person believes on what Jesus has done for them, that payment that Jesus made is applied to their account. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us, 
that we now have the righteousness of God because of Jesus. So this should be the most important thing a person tries to accomplish. What do, what do I need to do? Think of the Philippian jailer. What must I do to be saved? The scripture doesn't tell us, but is there desperation in his voice in that question? Is he looking for an answer? And what is, what is said to him? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And what was said to him was obviously enough. <laughs> he knew he had enough working knowledge there. Aren't you glad that's it? That's it. There's no hidden fee. I think about people, I don't, know, I don't know why I was thinking about this, but I thought about Becky the other day and how much we miss her. I miss hearing her tune her violin and, and, and play. I miss that dearly. But you know what? She doesn't need to tune her violin anymore because that, that puppy's perfect now. She's there. She's in heaven. And I would not want anything for her to come back. And I'm so thankful that the only thing I have to know that I'll be there too is Jesus. And that should also be a motivation for us to keep ourselves from vile sin. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your word. I'm so thankful that it's easily understood. I, I thank you for people that have spent their lives trying to write interpretations, but I'm so thankful, Lord, that we can know it simply by studying it and asking you for help. And as we study this word tonight, Lord, as we have studied it, I pray that we have, have gotten good things out of it that we can apply to our lives. I thank you for the men and women that are here tonight and for those who are on the live stream. Lord, I pray that they are blessed, that they have a double blessing of opportunity and peace and joy that passes the world's understanding. Bring us back, uh, bring us back here safely on Wednesday night for prayer so that we can meet once again and have the joy of seeing one another and looking in your word and giving specific things to you for prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. If you enjoyed today's episode of Bible Line, make sure to subscribe to the channel and share this video with a friend. Do you have a Bible question? Send us an email, questions at BibleLineMinistries.org, and we'll do our best to get you an answer. Or you can leave your question in the comments of this video. Be sure to check the links in the description for more clear Bible teaching. Bible Line is a ministry of Calvary Community Church located in Tampa, Florida.